Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. It's so good to be here today with you guys. And uh, as Todd said, my wife Sammy and I, we are the student pastors here, and we have the privilege week in and week out of serving the students here in this church, here on the island, and uh, we couldn't be happier where we're at. And we say that with complete honesty. We, I know I've said this several times, but you guys make us feel so welcome, so loved. We feel like we're at home where we did not feel like that in Tulsa. So um, might be because of the beach as well, but we feel like we're at home here, and I think it's largely due to you guys, and you guys loving us. But most importantly, we are floored by what God is doing in the student ministry, and I don't just say that. We are so amazed by what God's doing, and we couldn't be happier. We, we have almost 50 students going with us to summer camp this July, which is amazing. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not about numbers. I would much rather have one student in there sold out for the cause of Christ than 50 or 100 having fun. But if we could have 50 who are sold out for the cause of Christ or 100 who are sold out for the cause of Christ, then how much better is that? So I want to just share real quickly, last Sunday night for worship, we, we, we had a few songs. We did worship. And I also I put out a piece of butcher paper on the stage, and I told the students that they can write prayers on this. They can write praise or worship to God. And I want to share with you guys a couple of things they wrote. All right? I didn't tell the students that I was going to do this, and there's no names that are going to be said. But let me just share with you guys what God's doing in the life of our students. All right, one row, I want to pray for my best friend. I want to pray for Anne, grandfather, mother, dad, sister. I pray for myself. I want to be closer to your family and mine. My life is nothing without you. You watch me, you protect me, you love me. Another one says, there are too many things to say that just can't be written here. So thank you, I love you, and help me to remember you each and every day. This one's one of my favorites, saying, praying is rad, bro. (laughs) Another says, you can make a piece of trash into a flower. You're all I have. I love you, Dad. You're everything, your son. And this one, I pray we all learned to truly listen to you, God. Let our worship not go in vain or be lacking in all the glory we owe you. That's powerful. That's that's a little bit what God's doing in our student ministry um, each Sunday night. And so before I get into my message, let me just uh, say two things. Let me encourage you guys with one thing, and let me challenge you with another. Let me encourage you that if you're in here, if you're a parent of one of our students, if you are a friend to one of our students, if you don't have any children, if, you're, if your child is, is graduated, gone to college, if you're an empty nester, I don't care. If you're a vacationer, if you're in here, I encourage you, come some Sunday night. I encourage you to come see what God is doing in, in, in our backstage every Sunday night, 5 o'clock for middle school, 7 o'clock for high school. And here's my challenge. If you're in here and you, you fall in any of those categories, maybe not vacationers, but the rest of you, let me challenge you. Will you please pray about helping out with our students? Will you please consider helping out with our students? You don't have to, to have any prerequisites. You don't have to be a good speaker. There's so many different areas we can use you in. We can use you here on Sunday mornings just for a little bit, just for a few minutes every Sunday morning. We can use you on Sunday nights. This summer, we're going to be doing stuff every Tuesday. We're going to do stuff every Wednesday, every Thursday. And I could use people to help drive, to people help chaperone these events. And so will you please pray and consider helping us out with our students? All right. All right, well, I'll get off my soapbox. I'll get into the message, all right? And so today, we are beginning a new series for the summer, and it's called Courageous. And we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about what it means to be courageous, what, what the Bible talks about in terms of courage. All right, and so I'm going to start th- this morning, obviously, and we'll have different guest speakers throughout the month. But let me tell you why I'm excited is because I believe, like many things in our culture, God has this way of turning 
our idea of something or our definition of something on its head. He tells us that we should turn the other cheek when the rest of culture, the rest of society tells us to take revenge. And so in terms of courage, let me give you an example of why I believe God takes this and he flips it on his head because in our culture, you can pull up those pictures, this would be defined as courageous. All right, because it is the ability to do something that frightens one or is the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Students, don't try this at home. Husbands, don't try this at home. All right, although this might be defined as courageous or an act of courage, many of us would probably consider this stupidity, wouldn't we? All right, so don't do this at home. But that's a, a small example of what I believe our, our culture, how they can define something and how God can redefine that. So today we're going to take a look into an Old Testament story. All right, and uh, if you want, you can go ahead and flip your Bibles or turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And that is after 1 Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament, all right? And if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. We're going to show the passage on the screen. You can also follow along in your worship guides. You can follow along on the app. And we're going to dive into this Old Testament story today and see what God tells us about courage. All right, so 2 Chronicles 20. And let me give us a little bit of, of background. Egypt, or Israelites, God's people spent about 400 years in bondage in Egypt. God delivers them. Moses takes them through the Red Sea. They part the Red Sea. They go into the desert. And for about 40 years, they spend um, time in the desert before God delivers them into the land that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he had promised God's people. And so finally, they make it into the promised land. Joshua leads them into the promised land. And after about 400 years of judges, um, not necessarily kings, but just judges that, that rule over and, and do as God commands them to do and speak as God commands them to speak, they, the people of Israel, they demand a king. They say, we're tired of this. We don't want any more judges. We want a king. We want to be like every other country. We want a king. And so God says, all right, if you want a king, I'll give you a king, but let me warn you, this is what's going to happen. And he gives them a long list of what's going to happen. And so he gives them a king, and they start with Saul. And Saul turns out to be a bad king. Gives him David. David has his mess-ups, but he turns out to be, um, what the Bible says, a man after God's own heart. And then David passes on to his son Solomon. Solomon becomes king. And when Solomon dies, the, the nation of Israel is split. And it's split amongst his sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And you have in the northern part, you have Israel. They still call it Israel. But the southern half of, of what was formerly the United Kingdom of Israel is now Judah. And now you have kings in both northern and southern kingdoms. And so we're going to talk about Judah today, the southern kingdom, which... Uh, many times the Bible has a, a better rap. Um, you'd see that they tend to have better kings. They, they follow God a little bit uh, more closely than the northern kingdom. But you have four kings, and the fourth king is Jehoshaphat. You have many more than that, but Jehoshaphat is the fourth king of Judah. You have his father Asa, which is, is a fairly good king. He has a lot of forms. He takes um, idols, and he, he tears down the idols in the country. He doesn't really go off on a good note, but Asa dies and the Jehoshaphat becomes king. We're going to read about Jehoshaphat today. Jehoshaphat, he has a, a, a great reign. He does the same as his father. He takes down idols. He leads the people in the right direction. He does a few things that make the people mad as far as teaming up with, with uh, enemies and enemy countries in order to gain power, in order to, to fight other battles. But for the most part, Jehoshaphat follows the Lord. And so we're going to we're going to jump in towards the end of his reign in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you will join me in verse 1. 
It says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah that came to seek the Lord. So it doesn't look like it's a pretty good start to my story on courage as it says that Jehoshaphat was afraid. But I think we can all agree that many times we can be afraid before we demonstrate courage. And so let's, let's talk about why is he afraid? Why is Jehoshaphat afraid? Well, first off, he has three nations, three large nations coming at him, coming to destroy him. And most likely, they probably picked up more small towns and more small villages along the way. And so he's afraid. Although he had had all these reforms and he had, he had bettered the educational system and the, the military and the political system, he had probably hundreds of thousands of people coming for him. And not only were they coming from, they were in Engedi, which Engedi was 30 miles from where Jehoshaphat was in Jerusalem, 30 miles. They were in Hardyville, coming to Hilton Head Island, and there was a lot of them. And so he was afraid, rightfully so, he was afraid. All right, and so myself, I can't necessarily speak on this as well as maybe my wife could. I'm going to share a story about my wife of, of what it looks like to have the enemy, have defeat on your front doorstep which many of us in here might, might be able to relate with. Maybe we have a marriage that's falling apart. Maybe we have a financial crisis in our family. Maybe we're on the verge of losing our job or losing our house. Or maybe our child has walked away from the Lord. And, and we, we are afraid. Defeat, the enemy is on our front doorstep. I've known my wife since first grade, and... All the uznas stop after I say that she did not like me for the longest time. She hated me. I was a troublemaker. But we've known each other since first grade, so we've walked through life together. All right? And, and we went through high school together. We were good friends in high school, and we didn't start dating until I left for college. And so I left for college. I went to Tulsa. She stayed in Colorado. And after I came home my first summer, um, we, we were just enjoying the summer. We were both working. And I was hanging out one day with one of my friends um, by the name of Shane, and we're hanging out at his apartment pool and throwing the football back and forth. And my, my phone was across the, the pool area on a table, and I, so I couldn't hear it vibrating. But when I got out of the pool, I saw I had missed several calls from Sammy, from her stepmom, from her, from her father, and I was thinking that maybe something is wrong. So I called right back. I called to her, her stepmom, and she told me that Sammy had been, it was in the hospital. She was in the emergency room. And so at this point, you know, we, were, we just started dating recently, and I was madly in love, and I was like, i got to come to a rescue. So I got in my car, and I went over to the emergency room, and they filled me on what was happening. And um, what they told me, what Sammy had told me, is that she was working, and at the time she was working two jobs. She was working at Dairy Queen. And she had, had noticed that as she was working out that summer that she had had chest pain, but this day she felt that this was something that wasn't, this wasn't typical. I, I have more chest pain than, than normal. It's not from the push-ups. And so she, she measured her heartbeat because her mom has a congenital heart problem, and she measured her heartbeat, and it was at 33 beats a minute. And she was a varsity athlete in high school, a three-year varsity athlete, but she wasn't in that good of shape. All right? I love you, but you weren't in that good of shape. 33, 33 beats a minute. And so she knew something was wrong. She called her mom. Her mom came down, measured her, her uh, blood pressure, her heartbeat, and she ended up going to the hospital. She went to the emergency room. 
and they did tests and they concluded after a while that there's something seriously wrong and most likely that's a level three complete heart block. And this is a congenital condition that she had probably had her whole life. And it's a condition that many people hear of on the news when, when athletes are running down the basketball court and they fall over dead and they have no idea what happened. And so her AV node, some of you are like, I've checked out, I don't know what you're talking about anymore. But her AV node was not communicating, so her top and portion bo- top and portion, um, bo- or portions of her heart were not communicating. And so they weren't beating in sync, and her beat, heartbeat was at 33 beats a minute. So this is a huge problem. If you guys know anything about hospitals, when you walk in and say you have a heart condition or something's going on with your heart, you're admitted immediately. And so they said, something seriously is wrong, and we need to do tests, and um, it looks like we're probably going to have to put a pacemaker in you at 19 years old. And at this moment, I think it's fair to say that she was afraid, that I was afraid, that her parents were afraid. Death and defeat were on the front doorstep, knocking at the door. And so I might not be able to talk well on this, but Sammy knows what that's like. And walking through that with her, I know what that is like. And so for you today, put, put yourself in this story. What, what enemy are you facing? What is on your front doorstep? I named a few, but fill in the blank. All right, and, and we'll skip a little bit. Jehoshaphat has a prayer after this, and he brings all of Judah together. He calls them to fast. He calls them to, to, to pray, to seek God. And he has the army ready. See, if I were in a spot, I'd say, all right, everybody get ready. They're 30 miles away. We're going out to fight. But he, he seeks the Lord. He fasts. And then he prays to God. And I won't, I won't talk about the whole prayer, but he ends the prayer by saying this, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our, eye, our eyes are on you. I don't know about you, but I can, I can benefit from saying that from time to time, probably every time. God, I don't know what to do in this time, but my eyes are on you. And so I, my hope is that that is our prayer to, today. All right, so join with me. Uh, skip down to verse 12. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. And this is what it says. Sorry, verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. No wonder nobody likes reading the Old Testament, right? Jeez. It's crazy. All right. In the midst of the assembly. So all of that to say the spirit of God came upon who was a prophet, this guy who was um, a, a man of God. That spirit of God came upon Jehaziel. And it says, and he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. So listen, today the battle for your marriage is not yours. The battle for your job is not yours. The battle for your house is not yours. The battle for your child who might not know the Lord is not yours. If we can walk away with understanding one thing today is that the battle is not ours. That our eyes are fixed on God, the battle is not ours, and how much relief does that take off of us? When we understand that, that the battle's not ours. This isn't ours to fight. 
If we fight this battle, most likely it's not going to turn out well. The battle is not ours. We, we often love to fight our own battles. And many times, if you read the story of Jehoshaphat, he did the same. We love to fight our own battles. We think, I've worked hard enough. I've saved enough money. I can fight this battle. I've made it through something similar to this. It'll be fine. I can fight this battle. But no, my prayer is that our eyes are focused on God. And my prayer is that we understand that the battle is not ours to fight. It's never been ours to fight. We might think that we had success in the past. We might think that we did well in the past. But it's been God who's been by our side. It's been God who has fought our battles alongside of us and for us. So let me give you an idea of what this, this means, what, what God is capable of when we understand this. So skip down again to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. I know I, can, uh, I know I can do that more often. He bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord worshiping the, the Lord. And the Levites and the Cathites and the Korites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. With a very loud voice. Not with their hands in their pocket, but with a loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he had appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire so that they went before the army and say, so what's going on? Jehoshaphat, instead of sending his army out, not saying that he didn't prepare his army, he probably did, but instead of sending his army to the front lines of this battle, he sent the worshipers. He sent the choir he sent Andrew and Gino and Christine and Stephanie and Cynthia. He sent the band down to Bluffton while the enemy was coming towards us. Is this guy crazy or what? Yeah, he's a little crazy, but he's doing what he believes God told him to do. That's an act of courage. He knows that if they get wiped out and they all of a sudden this enemy is, is within Jerusalem and ransacking Jerusalem, he's going to go down as the worst king in history. That's courage to send the, the worshipers, the choir out to the, the front lines. And he said, when you go out to the front lines, say this. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. No way. No way did they go to the front lines and say it like that. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that they went to the, the front lines and they got down on their knees and they said, God, Thank you for delivering us so far, God. Thank you for delivering us out of Egypt. God, thank you for all that you do. God, thank you for keeping my marriage together thus far. God, thank you for all that you've done in my life. God, thank you for providing for us thus far, God. God, may your will be done, God. That's how I see them on the front lines. My question to myself and to all of us, is that, is that how we seek God? In the midst of the battle, when the enemy is on the front doorstep, do we seek God like that? Or do we say, God, I got most of it. You just come and help me with the rest of it. 
Are we seeking God and we giving him praise for what he's done in our life already? And do we believe that he can have victory, that he can fight this battle for us? Because when we believe that, listen what happens in this story. They go to the front line, they start shouting, they start thanking God for all that he's done, and this is what it says. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, for they were routed. And the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and, and the youth are sitting here in the front row, and I'll tell you that I always say that. But really, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. The, uh, the worshipers, the choir can go to the front line. They can seek God with all they have, and all of a sudden, hundreds of thousands of people with swords and shields and bows and arrows with the intention of killing and murdering all those people in Jerusalem and all the people in Judah, they begin to kill themselves. They begin to fight against each other. How do you explain that except that God fought the battle for them? That God had his way in this battle. And that God can have his way in the battle that we face. That God can take this battle, take this, this enemy, take whatever we're facing, and he can, he can get rid of it. He can do that. Do you believe that? Do you seek God like you believe that? Do I seek God like I believe that? Many times, I have to be honest, no, I don't. And so today, what am I, what am I not saying? Let me, let me make this clear. I'm not saying that if you simply say something, if you simply do something or, or shout loud enough that you'll go to bed and you'll wake up in the morning and, and everything will be all right. Everything will, will work out. God will fix everything just how you want him to fix it. It happened in this story. God is able to do that. Don't get me wrong. But the reality is that that's not going to happen every time. If I could communicate one thing to you today, it's this. is that the courage to overcome. The courage to overcome is rooted in our willingness to seek God. That's your only fill in the blank today. So if you want to fill it in, you can. Our, or our courage to overcome what we're facing. The courage for you to overcome your marital difficulties, your financial difficulties, your family difficulties, students, your school difficulties. Praise the Lord, it's summer, but the school year will come again. Your courage to face those difficulties, to face whatever makes you afraid is rooted in your willingness to seek God. Jehoshaphat's courage was found as he sought God and God responded to him. The worshippers' courage was found as they sought God on the, the front lines of the battle. And so today, where's your courage going to be found? I encourage you to find that in the Lord, find that in seeking the Lord. And so today, I might not be able to tell you exactly how your battle will end. I might not be able to tell you exactly how it'll go down. But what I can tell you is, is how it can begin. What I can offer you is a way for it to begin. And so here in a moment, we're going to have the worship band come back up. 
And I know I kept it a little bit short, but I want us to, to focus on this time that we have um, to, to worship God, to seek God. We have an opportunity now to, to begin this battle if we haven't already begun it by worshiping God, praying to God, thanking God for what he's already done in our family, in our marriage, in our job. And so don't miss this opportunity. Don't let this opportunity slip by. Where many times it's so easy just to stand and to, to observe. But today, participate. If you want to get down on your knees, get on your knees. If you want to come to the cross, come to the cross. If you want to shout, shout. It shouldn't matter who's standing to your left or to your right. This is your opportunity to seek God as Jehoshaphat sought God, as the worshiper sought God. Will you bow your heads with me? God, today we, we thank you, God, for, for giving us the courage when we don't know where to find the courage, God. God, we thank you for being with us today. God, we thank you for revealing this, this truth to us, God. God, we thank you for what you've already done in our lives. We thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. God, I pray for those in here who believe in you and put their trust in you, God, that, that they begin to seek you. God, they begin to put their trust more and more in you, God, that they begin to turn their eyes to you. You'll keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're in here and you, and you don't know the Lord, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, you haven't made that decision to turn your eyes to the Lord and to, to trust him in, in every part of life, I want to give you an opportunity. So if you're in here and you haven't done that, listen, listen to this. Keep your, if you keep your head bowed and eyes closed. Many times in the Old Testament, the, the stories of the Old Testament have a way of, of foreshadowing the gospel of the New Testament. And so just as Jehoshaphat was faced with an enemy and he was hopeless and he was afraid, we too are faced with the, the power of sin, something we cannot overcome. And just as Jehoshaphat sought the Lord and, and put his trust in the Lord, we too have the opportunity, if you haven't done that already, to put our trust in the Lord. And just as Jehoshaphat was delivered and Judah was delivered from the enemy, Jesus Christ has died on the cross and he has delivered us from the power of sin. And so if you're in here today and you say, it's time for me to do that. It's time for me to take my eyes off myself and put my trust in the Lord and to find courage to overcome the power of sin, to overcome the battles I face each day. I want to encourage you just to, to raise your hand in here. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call you out. But if that's you in here, I just encourage you to raise your hand today. Is anybody in here? God, we thank you that you're working here in Hilton Head Island. God, that you're working here in our church and in our community. And God, I pray that this morning we don't hold anything back as we seek you, God. God, that we understand that you have the power to set us free. You have the power to give us victory. God, you have the power to break every chain in our life. God, maybe not how we expect you to do it or how we want you to do it, but God, that you're in control and this battle is yours, God. Today, may we understand the fact that you have broken the chains of death, God. Amen.